Hi there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Cloud-Based Mayhem. Well, with the race barely two weeks away, I thought we should get somebody on uh, in the race. And I reached out, this is actually several months ago uh, that I reached out to Maxime, but we just recorded this a couple weeks ago. Maxime Pinot, I think probably gave Kriegel the best run for his money yet of his six wins. And Certainly uh, an incredibly talented pilot. Got second in the X-Pier the year before. He just won the Borns to Fly last week and actually beat Kriegel. So I think if Kriegel's looking over his shoulder at anybody, it's probably going to be Maxime. There is a lot of talent in the race this year. It always gets faster and faster every time and more and more teams are more polished. And uh, the, the depth of, of talent and skill this year is, is deeper than it's ever been. So... There's certainly others who could give him a big run for his money too, but uh, Maxime's definitely the I think the top gunner for for first place, yeah, and one Kriegel's going to be most worried about. Not that Kriegel worries about anything, but anyway. So I reached out to Maxime, and it wasn't so much about the X Alps. I reached out to him because I wanted to talk to him about. Uh, a blog post that he put up that was circulating on Facebook and stuff that came out just about the same time we did the podcast with Mal and Lob that was all about SIV and training and um, maneuvers and that kind of stuff. And this wasn't in response to that. He just he happened to put it out about the same time. And it wasn't rebuking anything that Malin, uh talked about on the show. They both live in Annecy. I'm sure they're friends. But this was basically, you know, Yes, SIV training is super important. We should all be doing it, but the reality is very few people can. It's expensive. It's time-consuming. A lot of people don't have a place where they can train that's very convenient to where they typically fly, especially those of us here in North America. It's pretty hard to find training, certainly over the water, that you can do SIV training. So, yeah, it's expensive. It's tough. It's you know the last thing a lot of people want to do when they have their two or three weeks or four weeks off a year and go travel to fly is spend a week doing maneuvers over and over again. So his the the write up that he did I just thought was really good and it was about well that would be great but most people can't so what do we do how do we still be safe and it was basically just by making better decisions keep your glider open and and make better decisions. So, you know, one of the one of my real mentors and a guy I was flying with this weekend, Nate Scales, has been flying for 30 years, has had, I mean, he threw his reserve once and then one very minor injury to his wrist, but chased it really, really hard for an awful lot of time and he's never done any SIV. So I'm not saying that's the way we should approach it. I think SIV is very important as we talk about a lot on the show and it's real critical, um, but it's maybe not for everybody and some people just can't do it. So this is kind of the response to that. But we also get into how to climb better, how to thermal better. Uh, he did, he's already done two 300K plus flights this year, one a big monster FAI back in late April before Europe's been getting pounded by snow since then. But 
He's had a couple of huge flights this year. He, Maxine, came up through the French Juniors program, which we've talked about quite a bit on the show. Charles Cazot and others that we've had on have come through that program. Very jealous of that over there in France. But an amazing pilot, really fast on the ground. It's going to be fun to race with him. And I'm look, really looking forward to that. And this is a great show. I think you're going to enjoy that as well. I wouldn't say this is housekeeping, but I have a story for you all. I think you'll find entertaining this weekend, Saturday, Sunday, and actually today looked really epic. The highest bases we've had here in Sun Valley, uh, well over 18,000 and light winds and things look pretty good for some big flights. So Saturday I packed up all my bivy gear and O2 and hiked up our, one of our kind of lower launches here, Sun Peak and pinged off and had a really nice flight back over the Bacton Trail Creek and and top landed back there with some elk and I just couldn't resist. There was all these elk cruising around and I top landed and hung out for a bit and then relaunched. And I was kind of approaching Saturday as an ex-alps day to just do some top landing and train and go go scout some things that I've been wanting to look at for a while and had a really nice day. I had a nice afternoon flight, got up really tall and cruised around in the Pios and our beautiful mountains and lots of snow still around and yeah, it was pretty stunning, really cold, but really stunning. And then landed down in a place called Copper Basin and spent the night in a campground. A couple of people actually gave me a ride in their car to the same campground and had a nice dinner with them. And just a very nice evening, really, really cold. And then the next day, yesterday, Sunday went up and it took me a while. It took a couple hours to find a good launch. It was kind of Southeast facing. It was maybe just before 11 a.m. and felt really good about the day. Everything looked good. There was a little bit of wind coming over the back that was just kind of catabatic, I think, coming down off the snowy fields above me. But I had a good 30 minutes to assess it out as I was getting ready and kind of double-checked everything and just felt really good to go have a good day. Launched and kind of flew down the ridge a while. Um, there was some little bubbles, but not much. I didn't even turn. And then had a friction knot in my upper cascades on my brakes and kind of gave it a hard yank and it just popped the line, but it was just one of the little brake lines off the top cascade. So no big deal, flown a lot with that. So I wasn't too concerned about that and took a hard left turn kind of crossed this little canyon. And the next area was all just sage and totally wide open, a couple trees, all Southeast facing. And I thought, okay, well, for sure, I'm going to get a climb here. And if I don't, I'll just top land, slope land and walk up a little bit and relaunch when it's on. And uh, so, and then I got in some pretty weird sinky air, but moderate, nothing too extreme. I didn't think too much of it just as I was crossing the canyon and then started feeling a little bit more wonky and then took a huge hit, not a frontal, just it took a big collapse on the right side of the wing and at the time, I was 38 meters AGL uh, from looking back at the track log. So I was very, very low, barely over 100 feet off the deck. And my instant thought was just reserve immediately. And I identified the handle. I have a front mount. I have flying the Calibri and my Peak 5. And uh, identified the handle and went to throw it and instantly went into an auto rotation. I kind of looked up right before I went to throw it just to see what was going on. It was one of those hits where you just know it's really bad. And I looked up and the right side was totally cravatted and it was a big one. And of course, as soon as I looked up and saw that, I started into a pretty 
pretty radical auto rotation. And because I had just done all this SIV training, more acro training, but I just done four days with Dylan Benedetti out in California over the water and I'd just been doing a ton of stalls out there. Um, I was pretty concerned about throwing the reserve into the wing in an auto rotation. I knew that I had one chance. I knew that I had to get this reserve out and deployed immediately or I was going to be in bad shape. And so I stalled the flying side, the left side of the wing pretty much immediately and was kind of actively piloting in a kind of a deep stall configuration, but I was still rotating slowly and the next rotation was going to be basically into the mountain. So I tried to just and consciously think about keeping my hands low so it wouldn't restart and hucked and I hucked it really, really hard. Saw the bag fly off, uh, saw the, the reserve deploy, looked down and it was probably one, two pound. And I didn't actually even feel the reserve slowing me down. If it's a hundred kg round and I had all my bivy kits, so I was way, way over that. And those don't bring you down all that slowly anyway. You know, that's my X Alps stuff. So would have really liked to have a bigger reserve for sure. And a square for sure. And, you know, looking back, I think when I first took the hit, the, just instantly, that would have been the place to throw. And I, like I said, I looked at the handle and I was reaching for it. And then I just didn't like the configuration I was in right after that. But I think if I had just immediately thrown, I would have had probably a much softer landing. As it was, uh, I hit incredibly hard on the, my left side. And the only thing I thought about as I was going in was, wow, this seems really fast and keep your arms in so you don't break them and just kind of, just kind of tensed up to take the hit. It didn't sound very good when I hit, but luckily it was mostly dirt. My left hip hit a bit of a rock. Um, and so that's just kind of bruised. Although I don't really bruise, you can't see the bruise, but I certainly feel it. And, uh, was very thankful that I had a proper first aid kit. I took 800 milligrams of ibuprofen pretty much as soon as I got out of my harness, I laid there for a long time just to let the adrenaline kind of ease off and make sure, you know, okay, feel your toes, do some checks that I could when I was kind of in the harness kind of balled up. The reserve was just flying over my head because it was pretty thermic and there was some wind coming up the, the ridge. And uh, so I sat there for quite a long time to just kind of chill out, make sure everything was okay. Crawled out of my harness, slow, you know, sat down for another five, 10 minutes, took, took 800 milligrams of ibuprofen knowing there was some pretty solid pain coming. Started to feel pretty good that the back was okay. I was a bit worried about the pelvis because that took the main hit when I, when I landed, but wasn't real sure. And then moving around was pretty tough. And uh, so I got out the inReach and messaged quite a few people, my wife and others, uh, a good doctor friend of mine, just to let him know. And he's also search and rescue here. So I thought, okay, well, I'm pretty confident I can self-rescue and walk out of here. It was like a kilometer and a half to get back to the campground from where I was at that point. I was pretty close to it. So not a big deal there. And, but I didn't want to carry my gear at really heavy pack and I didn't want to deal with that. So did a whole bunch of in-reaching for a while, then brought my oxygen back out and started sucking on that just to kind of calm down even more. And then, uh, went up and packed the reserve away, packed the wing away and, 
gotten some shade beneath the tree that was pretty nearby and uh, just waited for the posse to show up. And so huge thanks to Nate and Farmer and Willie and Brian for rallying together and coming out and, uh, and and hiking with me and hiking my stuff out. And then I went immediately to the hospital a couple hours later because we, we were on the other side of the Pioneers, which here in Sun Valley is quite a long ways away from town. And went into the hospital and just to be safe, they gave me a CAT scan and I don't have a scratch on me. I'm super bruised and very, very sore. <laughs> and today has been kind of hard getting around, but all in all, everything went as good as you can possibly hope. And I just wanted to share the the takeaways, I think, at least for me, were I think there's three things that really helped the outcome. One, all the training I've been doing, certainly that helps with the durability and helps you be able to bounce and take hard hits like that and hopefully get lucky as as I did. And the second was having the inReach, you know, after the pound, there's no cell service out there. That just changed my world. I would have been in totally in a self-rescue situation. I guess I could hit the SOS, but it meant I could talk to my doctor, uh, my friend who's a doctor, and I could talk to my wife and through messaging, obviously, and then rally the crew and give them my Latin long and position, all that stuff. So that was that was really terrific to have that. And yeah, having the oxygen certainly helped. That was that was that helped ease things. So I guess this is four things. And the fourth thing is is the SIV training. Um, I've done a ton of it over the years and tons and tons of stalls and stuff. This was really an acro course that I just did with, with Dylan Benedetti. And he's actually who I interview and he'll be on the next show in a couple of weeks, just as the race starts, the next one that comes out. But that was really terrific. And I'd like to think I would have done the same things before this training, but it certainly helped me really understand what was going on from A to Z, you know, the whole thing, just the the height awareness, the time awareness, the the situation that the wing was in, what it would take to fix it, then knowing I didn't have enough time to do that. And just reacting, I think, for the most part, pretty much the right way. You know, there's obviously more to every accident like this that happens before the incident. I've thought a lot about, well, what was my headspace in before launch? I mean, it was four minutes from launch to hitting the deck. You know, I feel pretty confident that you know, I wasn't tired. I was feeling really good. I was really psyched about the day. I didn't see any red flags in the sky or the wind or what was happening. And uh, pretty, pretty reasonable terrain. It was certainly, uh, I think, well within my skill level. I think I got a combination of kind of catabatic winds and a real ripper and was just very low. So wrong place at the wrong time. I will keep thinking about that. If I come up with other something else, then I'll, I'll bring it up. But yeah, just wanted to share that. Pretty wild day, pretty short, <laughs> intense flight. I never had a four-minute flight that ended like that, but it all worked out. So, yeah, one more, uh, one more coin comes out of the luck jar. Let's get into it. Let's enjoy this. Enjoy this wonderful talk with a friend of mine, an incredible pilot, and someone you'll be watching a lot here very shortly in the X Alps, Maxine Pino. Maxime, it's uh, it's a real treat to talk to you. I've been following your incredible flights uh, that have made me really jealous. We haven't had weather like that over here this year, but you guys got that magic last week in April that seems to be 
the thing the last few years. So uh, congratulations on a couple of 300s. You had that wicked one out over the flats and then a big, huge uh, FAI that must have been quite thrilling. I, I saw your videos and pictures. And it was beautiful. Uh, it's that time of year when you got all the snow in the mountains. And so congratulations there. And, uh, and thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> that looked uh that looked that looked really fun. I thought Maxime it might be kind of a fun place to start is just to talk a little bit about the race coming up. We've been we've all been yo-yoed all over the place the last kind of month and a half with, you know, okay, is it going to get delayed? Is it going to get canceled till next year? I don't know about you, but I have found that quite hard to adapt to with all these unknowns. How is your how has your training been going and how has that been affecting you and your team? Yeah, it was a very strange year. Yeah, it was very difficult, uh, mostly during the winter, because uh, we knew that it would be tricky still with the, the COVID situation. And it was very difficult this year when you had maybe a little less motivations because of of the of being tired or something like this. It was sometimes difficult to push more. And uh, maybe it was even more important to have the team behind you because uh, not knowing what will happen, it's, it's really difficult for a long preparation like the X-Alps. Yeah, I, I have found the same. Do you have the same team as you did in 2019 or is it new? Yeah, exactly the same. So it's, uh, it's I'm really lucky with this because uh, everybody looks really happy with the with the race again and they know what to do so it's uh, it's comfortable and what do you think about the the route you know you're there and in, in Annecy you and I had a little quick discussion that you know we we'd heard through the grapevine before we we, we before we knew the course or at least before I I knew anything about the course that it was going to be a big change I, I didn't mm-hmm. anticipate this I, I just thought you know maybe a different main waypoint instead of Mont Blanc or something but uh, what do you think about the course Actually, uh, I was uh, a bit like, yeah, I didn't know what to think about it before we we knew the the course because uh, it's yeah, and the the thrill is also to go to to Monaco. But um, finally, I quite like it quite a lot. I think it's quite interesting, and uh, I'm yeah, I'm happy because to have done it in 2019 because if it was my first time, I would have been quite disappointed. I think. Yeah, I, I, uh, I have no no love for for Monaco, so I was I was pretty yeah. thrilled uh, to. I know that's not a very sustainable attitude. You want to get there, but w- uh, in 2015, I got there and I, I wasn't very impressed. <laughs> it's awful hot. Yeah. It's off a lot of concrete down there. So it's I I quite like that they're they're keeping us in the Alps. I think it's going to be really fun. Really, I think it could be very hard if we don't get uh, good flying weather. It'd be tough, but it's at least it stays in beautiful places the whole time. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Monaco is not you know, not the the best place. So yeah, for sure on this on this side it's uh, it's way ni- nicer and uh, and I really like it also. And uh, but just um, yeah, I think just the starting in Austria and finishing just uh, right on the sea was was nice. But uh, but for sure it's sure. it's new thing and uh, and uh, yeah, it's exciting also. So I have no problem with the with the new route. Yeah. Yeah, cool. 
uh, Maxime, we did this little, you know, I reached out to a bunch of the athletes and teams right after the last race. And I, we, you and I had a nice chat about that. And I believe I asked you this question because I kind of asked the same questions with everybody, but I'd, I'd like to ask it again after, you know, you've had almost two years now of uh, pondering and thinking and, and coming back to the race. You were, you were certainly uh, you, you gave Kriegel a hell of a run there in the last one and coming in as a, as a rookie and you'd done really well in the X pier and you're certainly, uh, one of the main favorites going into to this one. I'm just wondering after you've had more time to think about it, uh, what has changed if anything in, in your run up to this race in terms of physical training or scouting or any of the things you've learned or maybe the, the, the technology, uh, what, you know, in terms of apps you're using or what has, what has changed for, for team France this time around? Yeah, quite a lot actually, because, uh, on the physical side, uh, I really dig, dig different things. Like, uh, I have a new trainer, but, um, yeah, I was keep, I, kept training during the two two last years quite a lot so yeah not to lose any anything from what we did and also because i know that i'm quite uh, young in the endurance sports so um, giving two more years is is a lot finally so and in more in the details uh, i've done quite the same preparation during the autumn uh, with a lot of volume, but uh, quite low intensities, just to to bu- build a, a good base. Mm. But then it was quite different because uh, I decided to find a new, new trainer, and I was quite training on my own during autumn. And then I just met with uh, Matteo Jacquemus. Maybe you know him. He's mm. like uh, four times the world champion in uh, in uh, skimo ski mountaineering. Sure. And. Uh, he gave me a good contact with uh, another trainer, and uh, we have really good relationship now. With uh, his name is Emilio, and uh, yeah, we we changed quite a lot the preparation. I'm doing a, during the winter. We had quite a lot of intensities. Also, I'm doing quite a lot of exercise uh, king. So it's one of the the thing I'm doing a lot during the winter, which is very good for the shape. Mm. And um, and then uh, we went back more on volume during uh, February and March, and during April I really we spoke a lot about it because I wanted quite a lot of time to fly uh, because I know how much it's important in the preparation. So we went back to intensities, so so I had more time to fly, and uh, mm. and now the last leg is uh, is yeah. We have two two more weeks of quite high volumes of training, and then it will be mostly tapering. Yeah. And do you spend quite a bit of time in the gym? Do you do much strength training as well? I don't do I don't do so much. I do yeah maybe mostly core training and also specific training uh, for the legs on the on the on trainer. So on my bike, so mm. with uh, with low repetition but high high strength. So so it's the main things I'm doing on the strength side because uh, I must say that I'm <laughs> I don't like it so much <laughs> to be at the gym. So yeah, I'm doing mi- probably the minimum, but uh, on the other hand, I'm 
I'm quite a lot outside and it's what I like. Maxime, speak to me a bit about how how you approach the race in terms of goals. I, I had a quite interesting I've had quite an interesting few years thinking a lot about flow and uh, you know, you 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 do a lot of comp flying. I know you were all geared up for the worlds, which got canceled in, in May. I was hoping to fly with you there. But, you know, in 2015, things went pretty well for us. Uh, and I, I I thought, you know, I, going into 2015, I really had no idea if I would just be eliminated right off the bat. I, I just had no idea where I would sit. I hadn't done any big, I'd done a lot of hike and fly and a lot of Volbib, but I've, I'd never done anything like the X-Alps. And so, and I wasn't, you know, quote unquote, mm-hmm. a, an endurance athlete of any kind. So I, I really had no idea and things went pretty well. Uh, and and so I really went into 2017 more with uh, too much finishing goals. You know, mm-hmm. I, I want to place here and, and I, 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 in a sense, didn't put enough weight on the process. I still trained really hard, but I think I put too much pressure on mm-hmm. myself. And then in the race, made a couple of very bad early mistakes that were all flying related uh, and and it really, you know, as often happens in the race, the weather gets you in the back of the pack and, and that was it. And so I, working with Thomas Therlow, you know, Kriegel's supporter, I, I've yeah. learned to change the goals and and change the process and think differently about things. But how, I'm, I'm wondering how, I'm trying to get to mindset with you. How do you want where do you want to be mentally on june 20th how do you where how do you how are you going to approach each day yeah when i'm looking back to my best performances most of the time there is a kind of uh, yeah i don't i would say like um, i'm quite distant from the goal uh, mm. i feel that i'm prepared because i'm the preparation is the key for sure. So I, I give everything in the preparation. I'm focused. But I like when the event is coming to be quite distant from it. It's a bit strange. But uh, if I'm fully focused on it, for sure, I will I will just do bad. <laughs> it's, it's quite <laughs> strange. But if, if I'm obsessed with it every day and uh, just until the race, it's it's not working for me. It's it's because it's I have a most of the time I, I can put a lot of pressure on myself. So I prefer to know that I'm doing a good preparation, but try to just to yeah enjoy the enjoy the preparation, but don't think about the results. Yeah, mm. because if I do so, for sure it's bad. And Maxime, what does your preparation look like in terms of the course? I, you you posted something quite a while back where you were uh, you were kind of studying the 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 valleys and the the flow and the valley winds and that's this kind of thing. I, I had an interesting talk sitting next to Kriegel in 2015, right before that race started, where he I said, "Hey, how is I'd been over in Europe for." a month and a half, almost two months actually before the race started scouting and, and learning the course and, and going mm. around. And I was surprised to hear him say that he doesn't scout at all. Uh, he doesn't, he doesn't like to have a preconceived notion of now. I don't know. I'm talking about in-person scouting. I don't know mm. what he does in terms of Google earth and, and routes and skyways and X contest and all that kind of thing. But uh, he didn't, he didn't like to go, 
three weeks before the race and look at one of the turn points, for example, because it's very different weather. There's more snow. It's, it's just, it's not what he's going to see on the actual day. And he doesn't want to have any, any preconceived notions about how to get through an area. He wants to do it on the day that it happens and fly that weather, yeah. which I thought was pretty interesting. What, what's been your approach to scouting and, yeah. and learning the course? Yeah, I, I don't go scouting for sure. Uh, oh, wow. okay. Yeah, nothing. Last, uh, in 2019, it was the same. Um, mm. And uh, I think I'm really more efficient just walking on the maps on Google Earth and everything, just thinking about all options. Yeah, just just we're trying with my, my imagination and talking with Jeremy what we can do and take a diff different scenarios. And uh, we are very much efficient like this. And mm. uh, and I I don't see the point to go in person on the places uh, because uh, it's a lot of... Yeah, you lose a lot of time for me in the preparation mm. because it costs mm. also a lot yeah some money if you go for one week and uh and as you said like in 2019 now maybe maybe this year there is even more snow so um, it's a complete lose, lose of time for me so yeah i don't go scouting for sure yeah but, okay. but i i spend quite a lot of time on the maps um like yeah i would say at least two hours a day and just being really yeah, really, um, like, close from the race, like, really friendly with it, <laughs> I would say. Or uh, I don't know the, the word, but intimate. just, yeah, intimate with the race and uh, mm. and just try to think all, all the options, yeah. Will you have a, and I'm sorry, I, I have to just, you know, I'm so fascinated with the race. I'll, I, we're going to switch topics here in a bit, but just a few more about the X-Alps. Do, do you have... You know, if you're, if you're say at the Hanukkah turn point or any of it, it doesn't matter. And you're going to the next one, would you have potential, uh, routes already preloaded into your phone? You know, it's just to give you reminders when you're in the air or are you just flying the sky just to the next waypoint? You don't have any of that in your phone. Yeah, I will. Uh, I will, uh, will, uh, I'm really working hard and creating files so I can use them in the air um yeah with the with the all options but also like some uh, some trails and uh, some takeoff every takeoff we can find so it's on my mm. phone already and it can yeah it allows me to to take uh, really faster decisions in the air mm. so mm. yeah i like to yeah to do it before and uh, because uh, yeah you can improvise really well when there is a lot of preparation behind <laughs> and uh, sure, because if sure. if you you are in the sky and and just thinking about in terms of the yeah, condition for sure at one moment it will not be enough mm. do you have a weather team i know a dedicated weather person you know sitting behind a computer feeding you information we are working on it last year it was like you it was laurent valbert uh, yep. was working with us and uh, yeah we are still wondering what we will do this year uh, we we don't know yet because um, it's cool sometimes to delegate some work but sometimes 
very cool also to do it yourself because uh, so yeah I'm still at the moment the weather I have one or two people in mind and uh, but I I'm not sure at the moment what I will do yeah 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 ditto um, cool well switching gears here a little bit Maxime the, I don't know the timing of this was was kind of interesting and I'm not not even sure you're aware of it but we did a podcast several months back with Malin Lobb, who lives there in the same zone mm-hmm. as you do. He, he's an instructor for Flyo, and and you you circulated a, a a blog post kind of thing um, that was that came out about the same time, and it wasn't refuting at all anything that Malin had said. That the advice we heard from Malin was all terrific, but it was it was kind of the in a in a sense the other end of the spectrum, which was yeah, it would be terrific. And if, if I'm not paraphrasing this right, correct me, but you know, it would be terrific if all of us, you know, had the money and the time and the ability to do a ton of training, you know, a ton of SIV training mm-hmm. and training over the water and learning everything that Malin talked about that's, that's can be so important. But the reality is very, very few actually do, you know, unless you're on the French team and you have, uh, plenty of time and money, and this is kind of your job. That that's just not the reality for the great majority of pilots in the world. And so you're you were saying, you know, the emphasis should be on just better decision making and keeping your wing open. Can you yeah. can you dive into that a little bit? Yeah, I'm also an instructor, so I have a pretty good idea which yeah how much time people have with flying and how much money also they can spend for it. So um, yeah, when I when I I saw like articles just about yeah, you just have to do acro and do cross country and you do I can fly and everything. It's not the reality, as you said. So so yeah, for sure. The I think um, we we have to be more practical with people, and uh, for sure, SIV is a is a very good tool, and that's not the question. But I've learned like that then during the years that that the volume of flying is very very important in quite different conditions and it gives the pilots like um, a good feeling with the air and that's way more important in my in my opinion because learning i think when you are able to yeah to say okay this place it can be tricky it can be turbulent before you you just actually get there you are already in a mode that you are you are activated. You are like ready to to fight if it's not good enough in the zone. So and you are already in in the mode like if I took a collapse, it's because it's because of this or it's because of that. Yeah, it's more more important yeah to to be really comfortable in the air and to to think about the the places you will get in. It's the only thing and just. Would it be turbulent or not? And uh, and I'm ready to fight if it's not a good place. But uh, yeah, just to the analyzing of the condition is the most important for me. Do you have Do you have any kind of tricks or strategies for dealing with irrational fear? And what I mean by that is, you know, we have this we have this fight or flight response for for many people that you know when you get in a tense situation. Uh, many people just can freeze up or 
yeah. get really scared. And we all experience fear. Uh, and certainly in the X Alps, we were usually, although last year was, was quite mellow uh, for most, but mm. you know, usually we're dealing with a lot of wind and we can, like you say, we can get ourselves in spots that are pretty tense. Do you have anything you specifically do for, for dealing with those moments? Yeah, for sure. One one of the thing, the most important for me is the the volume of flying. Uh, when I'm not flying enough, uh, and it was maybe the case before the experience in 2018, I was really bad in the air. Maybe yeah, I was feeling very very bad because I didn't flew enough during spring. So. Um, at the beginning of the of spring uh, condition, I'm I'm flying quite a lot. Like uh, in April, like I flew like seventy or eighty hours this year. So mm. so yeah, that's that's quite a lot for me, and uh, that's really the a base for me. It's like building endurance. It's uh, when you are running. If you don't run enough, for sure you will not last during long runs. It's the same in flying. So you have to sometimes go flying, even if you will not do 200k, 300k. Just go flying because the two or three hours you will do, it will it will count in your uh, in your volume, and at the, at the end, for sure, it will make a big difference. Yeah, for sure, yeah. for sure. This is a hard thing, I think, for many people to explain. But talk about gliding. You put out you put out a great video on thermaling recently that was that was terrific but i find that teaching someone to glide is is tricky it's so instinctual but what what are you thinking about when you're take take me through the three parts of of kind of flying that thermaling gliding and planning it, take me through how you kind of approach each of those aspects yeah the thermaling um it it's also quite uh, for me it's really related to to volume because thermaling must be really like yes, really not automatical uh, in the end because it's the moment where you plan what you will do next so it's i see really a big difference for myself at the beginning of the season and middle of the season i can thermal without thinking to without thinking uh, in the middle of the season and at the beginning i'm just wondering where is the core and everything so so i just need a good volume to to be really comfortable in thermal and one of the things which is very important thermaling is uh, is to have the eyes everywhere so i think to find the right clue for your for your positioning is really important and uh, for sure, the most important then is to have a plan before you get to cloud base or to the top of the thermal. Because if you just hit the cloud base before before uh, just you made your plan, your plan, you are really late. So, so yeah, I'm trying to to collect the information when I'm climbing. So I'm collecting the information for me is the altitude uh, of. Uh, of every layer, so I try to to make uh, like uh, a sounding of the of the air mass uh, when I'm thermaling. Which yeah, at which layer is better? Which layer is is uh, quite yeah is less good? And um, 
also the wind and the inversions and everything. I try to have as many uh, as many parameters as, as I can. And then I can do a plan before I hit cloud-based. And then the gliding mode is, uh, of course, there is a, a part where you plan in thermal. So you try to, you, you will go, you try to, yeah, to draw the line between you and your and your goal or the next thermal, and uh, you try to to find the right placement uh, regarding the wing, the wind, the clouds, and everything. Because uh, if you just go straight, most most of the time that's not the most efficient, even if it can work very well. But uh, it's not always the the be- the more efficient. And after there is also in the gliding. There is a, something really important is to be relaxed because uh, most of the people, they, they are just a bit fighting with the wing and they are not completely relaxed in the harness. And most of the time, the pilot gliding the best are very rela- relaxed. They can let the wing just fly. And it's it makes really huge differences in the end. Also, choosing the right speed is also very important. Mm. Using your speed bar correctly. Yeah, using the speed bar correctly also to control the pitch, but also just having the right speed. I know myself, uh, I'm sometimes a bit too speed. I go a bit too fast most of the time, so I try to work on it because uh, after I'm showing the thermals to the others. So, <laughs> so I try to, to also to, to find the, the right balance. Yeah, that's that's it. So, yeah, I try. Having the the right the right speed is is quite important. So, I I wasn't planning on asking you this, but because you talked about speed, uh, I we, I did a podcast recently with Robbie Whittle, and as we were nearing the end, actually, I'm not even sure this was in the show. It was just we he and I were having a chat, and he said, "You you know you know why Kriegel's getting you guys right?" And I said, "Well, yeah, for all the reasons, Robbie. What do you mean? <laughs> there's so there's a lot of reasons there." Uh, and he said, no, when it's, when it's on, he's cracking, he's, he's really flying fast when it's that kind of a, of a day. I mean, you of anybody knows how to fly really fast, but I have found it incredibly hard in a race like the X Alps to not be somewhat conservative, even when I know you shouldn't be, if, you know, there, there are days where you don't have to be that conservative, but the, the penalty for for bombing out in the X Alps is quite a bit higher than a comp or something where, you know, really it just doesn't matter that much. I mean, you might, you're not going to get the score, but you know, uh, comps come and go, whereas the X Alps is something we work so hard at. Do you have, I don't know, have you thought about that? Is that something you're, you've changed in terms of training or your mental approach coming into this one? Yeah, actually I'm quite, I quite like the condition when it's, Quite bombing, and the the skies. Uh, when we uh, you have quite a lot of cumulus, I I quite like it because uh, it's what I do quite a lot. And flying fast, you, you can learn it only in, in World Cup competitions. And uh, mm-hmm. what what I'm saying to to the people who want to be performant in I can fly is to do quite a lot of comps uh, because um, for sure you learn from uh, you learn a lot from the best. And uh, what you learn in World Cup for sure is is a big advantage for uh, for the I can fly races, 
it's it's very very important so i have no Relevant. no big deal with flying fast because uh, it's what what i like to do so most of the time my problem is to, to fly quite slow when when it <laughs> needs slow to down. be yeah slow down and uh, it depends on the pilots because uh, i would say most of the cross country pilots who are only doing cross country they are uh, really like they will not land for sure uh, but yeah if if they fly like 20 average and uh, with the exact wing flying 25 27 average is already good per hour is already good mm. but it's a big big difference at the end of the day so for sure it's, if it's bombing and you don't take advantage of this in yeah in like three hours you are 20k behind so yeah. yeah it's uh yeah it's not big deal for me this but uh, yeah it's the opposite way which is more difficult <laughs> <laughs> it's a good problem to have i think yeah um the you you had some big flights this spring i think it would be wonderful for the audience to hear how you plan so before before takeoff rewind us back to to what you know because the last time we were going to try to do this talk uh you said yes i could do it in the next three days but one of these days i think is going to be a 300 and then sure enough i think it was tuesday or wednesday you you did that so you obviously saw that coming that was friday it was several days before i think mm. and but I, I think it would be great for the listener and, and go into detail. What, what websites, what forecasting tools, what are you using to identify the day and then the launch and then execution? Take us kind of through that program. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite a long-term work because uh, the weather forecast is like, it's always difficult and um uh, I, now I know my my place uh, around quite well. So when I see a situation, you know, a weather situation coming, I can already say maybe there is something can happen now. So I will be more focused on the on the forecast. And uh, I'm using like three or four um, three or four websites like Meteo Blue and uh, Velivol and. Uh, and some other last soaring meteo is also amusing. But um, I would say then that the most difficult sometimes is that most of the time these days, like the, the perfect day is in between one or two other days. <laughs> and uh, you mm -hmm. have to choose the best one. Okay, you can, you can give a chance to all of them, but uh, it's difficult in terms of time and... Uh, and also of uh, because sometimes if you fly ten hours but uh, it was it wasn't good enough you are a bit tired so next day it's a bit more difficult but um, yeah after it's to choose the the right day and uh, most of the time it's the first day of this period which is the best and mm -hmm. um, so we gave it a try yeah it was Friday and it was the good decision in the end but for sure we had a lot of lot of failure <laughs> before like i remember <laughs> like i remember one day last year we we saw like two very good days coming and the first day we decided to just trim the wing for the second day and the second day was was shit and the first day was just bombing <laughs> so 
So yeah, the weather forecast is uh, is always difficult, and I'm also quite. I'm speaking a lot with uh, Jonathan Jonathan Marin because he's always uh, in the mm. good plans. Also, it's, uh, the good cross country plans, and he's he's a really good pilot. And yeah, sometimes we can we can speak like two or three hours the day before. We are quite crazy with this. So, <laughs> so yeah. In terms of just planning the route and deciding on the launch and where you'll go and yeah. what you'll do, yeah, 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 yeah. We like, yeah, we made last last year. We made uh, we made three hundred out and return. And uh, I I remember I spent like my whole day on this on this flight. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's kind kind of uh, of work. Yeah, sure. What. Well, I've had both success and failure in in that regard uh, in a couple different ways. Where it, it, last summer I had a flight where I, I really had to get back to the truck because it was a very remote part of Utah and in, in Idaho. You know, hardly any roads and no one on them, so I retrieve would have been impossible. I didn't have anybody to mm-hmm. to drive retrieve, and so I designed a an FAI that got me back to the truck. That you know, at times I would have been way over a 24 hour walk to get back and, and it all worked out. And those, that those times are, are brilliant. But other times I've had, when I put so much planning into something and, okay, this is the triangle I'm going to fly. And then that's not the day I'm given. It can take my brain a while to switch to flying the day and not my desire, which is a saying we've, I got from Nick Grease many, many years ago. Talk to me about adapting and 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 changing the idea. And the, was it was this FAI that you guys did? Was it basically what you mapped out? Was it yeah. did it go down as planned? Okay. Yeah, this this one was really mapped uh, because it was for the also for the FIA record. So this one was mapped maybe, but we we did also we just go go through all the turn points we planned but we went also a bit further because the conditions were really bad really good <laughs> so yeah. yeah we just took advantage i think yeah totally of the day um but yeah we we go through all the all the the weight points but when it's not about the record i we i always do a plan even if it's not big cross country flying i'm always doing a plan for the day because I don't like to be in the air and have no plans. Of course, sometimes for for different flights when you go flying for, with friends or anything. But most of the time, I, I'm always having a goal, uh, just a technical goal or route goal or anything. But I don't like to go flying without planning something. So mm. I have a. It depends on the condition, but when it's quite good condition like this, I, I like to stick to the plan. Uh, as much as possible but of course in the air if at one moment it's not possible i'm switching uh, but um, also having this yeah this goal in the head it's giving sometimes you uh, an extra like motivations and um, and you can overpass some difficulties and it's very it's a very good training also yeah, because uh, for sure you can't plan anything. But if you try to stick to the plan, also it can bring you really high motivation. So um, yeah, it depends always. But uh, yeah, I like to do plans. <laughs> <laughs> the 
the the flight you did out over the flats when i looked at the 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 track log from that you were really low most of the time um mm-hmm. was that a was that kind of a go to no flight or was that also planned is it seemed seemed kind of low odds <laughs> but but yeah. you made it work but was that something you also planned or was that hey i think we could make this work let's go out there and just see what happens yeah i think just uh, these days the the firm all were quite uh, far from one another so so it was just between with between one between the thermals it was like maybe 10k or more in the in the in the glide so i was always going uh, quite yeah go, i was getting low always so <laughs> low save low save low yeah save. low save <laughs> always um and at the beginning it was very tricky because uh, also it was quite uh, humid at the beginning and then it it improved quite a lot in the end, but also at one moment uh, there was the, an airspace during like sixty or seventy k. I couldn't climb over one thousand three hundred meters, and uh, and the cloud base was uh, one one thousand nine hundred. So for sure it was uh, it was a big deal, <laughs> and uh, and behind me with the with the radio and they can. I think Stefan and Jonathan they they can call the the airport the little airport and they, they give them the the clearance <laughs> just after nice. Me. Yeah. Oh, it's like, good to ha- it's so, good to have those friends that you fly with. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, maybe they were flying like forty to to one hour behind me, so I nearly yeah I, when I knew it, the. There was no problem with the with the airspace. I was already 10k before the end of the, the airspace, so so it was a bit late <laughs> for me. But um, yeah, I actually it's one of my strengths to to find the thermals quite low. I know I can. I'm quite good at it. So so I'm not very stressed in these situations. Um, yeah. Can you can you dive into that a little bit more? What are you what are you thinking when, when you're when you're starting to get low? How do you how have you found success with low saves? With yeah, uh, you know what kind of mind frame do you get in? What are you doing technique technique wise that helps that? Actually, I'm I'm a lot working with the clouds, of course, and uh, I'm I'm always edging in the direction of the the best place regarding regarding the clouds and after i'm working a lot of the with the flow so um, how the, the air will will flow in this place so in the flatlands i know that i'm very much looking to looking the forest and the and the lee side of the forest i'm really working a lot with this and uh, i'm quite confident in this <laughs> so <laughs> confident enough but um, yeah, I would say that it's a lot of uh, perspective before I try to to have different plans for sure. And uh, but I'm really thinking a lot about the wind and the clouds. Not much mm. with the with the color of the the fields or anything, but very much with the with the wind and clouds for sure. So trying to pick up on 
on cloud streets and what's happening down course line well in advance and, and constantly yeah. kind of moving that that way towards, uh, you know, hopefully a more successful line. Yeah, and uh, some pilots say, okay, when I'm really low, I'm not looking the clouds anymore. And I think it's a big mistake. And uh, mm. I'm always having an Ironman. So, so I know that I'm at least looking in the right way. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. That that's great. What's something a skill or just something you've learned from another sport? Because I know you, you know, you do mm. a lot of touring and a lot of cross country, and I'm sure biking, all kinds of other stuff. But what have you learned from something else other than flying that's helped you become a better pilot? Yeah, for sure a lot. I think uh, I'm a big fan of sports and. Uh, in paragliding, we don't have so much the physical pain, but we have the mental pain. <laughs> and, uh-huh. uh, and I think uh, to, to have sports, just other sports that combine both, it's also, it's also very interesting because you, you manage different things. And, uh, but sometimes I really think paragliding is, is a bitch with this, with the mental pain, <laughs> because, uh, it's, it's, it's like very, it's something very, very, like you don't find it anywhere else. It's, uh, I agree. it's, yeah, I don't know how to explain to people who don't fly because, uh, sometimes they think, okay, you are just sitting in a, in a harness and you take decisions and, uh, and blah 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 but uh, that's that's kind of uh, when I'm, I'm flying 10 hours or 11 hours like the, the day friday to two weeks ago or the 300k the the day after i was like i i just slept <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so it, yeah it's to have sometimes in sports like uh, different uh, issues you you are more adaptable but uh, I'm a really big fan of uh, s- certain sports like biathlon, uh, sports that connect two activities. Like uh, in biathlon, they connect uh, shooting and skiing, cross-country skiing. Mm. And I think we can find um, a lot of yeah, connection with them because they are like trying to like trying to connect two things that are comple- completely different as we are doing also in I Can Fly. Uh, we are connecting endurance training or endurance sports with uh, flying, and it requires really different, yeah, kind of skills. So it's quite, yeah, it's very. Yeah, my inspiration is from this kind of sports most of the time, and uh, I was looking, yeah, during the winter I was looking how they were training. So how much time they spend training for the shooting, how much time they were training with the skiing and, uh, and the balance is quite interesting. One of the most valuable pieces of information I got was from Tom Payne. I went and sat down with him, you know, he did the race in 2009 and then mm-hmm. supported John Chambers in 11 and 13. And he told me that, you know, your group needs to have kind of a, crisis management program or a, you know, a conflict resolution program. And it was, it was valuable in that we just, it was fun to think about. And, and our, our resolution was just, okay, we, we identify the mistake, 
talk about it, let it go and laugh, you know, just, just, you know, mm. it had, the, the race has to be fun. It's not worth it if yeah. it's not fun. So let's have fun with this. Um, and then this ties into uh, one of my talks I had with Thomas Therlow, this, this winter in the kind of preparation is he said, think about at some point in the race, you're going to make a mistake. Mm. And Imagine in the past, one of those mistakes, you know, say you bomb out in the middle of the day and now you've got to hustle to get back up to launch and you're stressing because other pilots are in the air and they're, they're leaving you behind. You need to have a plan for that. You need to have a, you know, you need to make it a game. You need to consider, okay, how is this an advantage? How is this an opportunity right now? And it's been interesting to think about that. I'm wondering if you have if you've thought about that, or when you think back to the last race, uh, when you've made a mistake, what's your mental approach to, to that going into this one? And also just normal flying as well, you know, say on, on the 300 day, you know, if you had bombed out and your friends made it happen, how do you approach that? Yeah. Um, yeah, I've done quite a lot of uh, mental training since, since 2019 with, uh, with a friend of mine. But uh, for during the 2019 race, it was still difficult sometimes to get back from some mistakes, like uh, or mistakes, or sometimes I would say like uh, different timings, because sometimes timing in the XAP is really difficult. Everything. And uh, and uh, yeah, I remember like when you are 40 minutes behind Kriegel, and then. You you catch the you catch the thunderstorms and is 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 away. You have one one day like behind after after this little timing difference. So these moments were really tricky. But uh, also during the I I'm quite lucky to have uh, four of my best friends in the team. <laughs> so <laughs> so they know me really well. And uh, sometimes when I'm not happy and. Uh, I'm being like uh, a bit annoying. So they know how to to handle me. So it yeah. was it was still working even if I was not very uh, comfortable with this moment. But we can't be completely comfortable with them for sure. Um, but I learned quite a lot since then um, because we we worked quite a lot on. Uh, on managing the emotions because uh, I'm quite, I can be quite emotional and I'm, I, I work quite a lot on this. I was going to ask you how, in, in what way, when you say you're quite emotional, is that just you're up and down? You know, you, you, you're, uh, you get pissed off and kick your helmet or what, what kind of emotion do you mean? Yeah, it can be that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a few of my helmets have some scratch on them. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's. Um, I can. Uh, yeah, I would say that um, in this situation, you you just start focusing only on the mistake, and uh, and the idea is to to accept it quite fast, and just to 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 be able to. To, to look around because most of the time just uh, you just keep looking at it and you don't see the opportunities around so so yeah in this situation managing okay you are angry but uh, you can manage it you don't go completely mad it's okay to go angry but uh, you don't have to go completely mad and still be 
yeah, and are focused on what you have to do to to find the opportunities around. And uh, that mm. was quite difficult, and it was one of my problems at the during my uh, yeah during the competition because uh, what is quite interesting in the competition, normal competition. Um, is that it's long competition because most of the time it's one week. And uh, in this week, sometimes you do a bomb out. And I it was very, very difficult for me when I was bombing out the next day to be again in a good mood and uh, and to fly well. So, yeah, it was a big work I had to do. Do you Can you, can you give us any specifics of, of how you started figuring that out and were able to kind of turn the corner because i i've had comps that have not gone that way you know goes good goes good goes bad can't get back to good yeah (laughs) almost like falls apart just put more and more pressure and more and more pissed off and uh yeah and i've 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 been able to recover it too but i'm not sure i can point to anything specific that helped Hmm. so yeah i think it's quite personal for people but uh, me on my side uh we we've we worked quite a lot on uh, some uh, auto hypnosis. I think we oh, we, we do okay. this. We say this. Yeah. So yeah. we we try to take some some like uh, um, good good moments and we try to make them uh, appear in these difficult situations. And um, because there is different plans, because it depends on the situation, but. Uh, uh, yeah, there is uh, there is this way to do it when something is going a bit bad in the in the in the air for sure. You try to to change the uh, the emotion by with this, mm. and also when when you are back to the ground, when you have a moment when you can relax. We also worked on just letting the emotion flow. And then you can just accept it, and you you go yeah you you keep going after, and uh, because when you don't accept some some emotions, sometimes they, they just stick in you, and uh, mm-hmm. and it's not good. So it was a big work we did like like uh, on the the Polish Open last year, um, because I had kind of a difficult situation before personal situation. And uh, I talk with uh, her name is Natasha, so I talk a lot with her how to manage it, and I was really happy that uh, the six week comps went really well because we we just together we we succeeded to just yeah okay there is something bad but you can let the emotion flow and then in the air you with the little tricks you can trick a bit your mind and it will get better. So so yeah, it's it's kind of very interesting. Do you use much visualization in your in your preparation or in your lead up? I mean, in other words, do you when you think about this year's race, do you imagine flying off the Geisberg and heading south to Wagrain and imagining the thermals? Do you do you do any of that kind of thing? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's quite natural. Sometimes you just you're just uh, thinking about the race and uh, and yeah start start to imagine things and uh, i think it's very important for the motivation uh, because if you don't dream about it i would say maybe it's it's not worth not worth it so yeah mm. it's kind of 
this kind of dream, like <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, strange things, but for me it's very good situation, and I'm sure uh, like my my heartbeat is increasing increasing when mm. I think about it, and it's a good I think it's a good motivation because if you don't you don't have these vibes, it's kind of yeah strange. Sometimes the maybe the goal is not is not what you are looking for. Yeah, and there's there's been quite a bit of recent data. They're, they've they've studied this, and it it's it seems that the brain doesn't isn't very good at differentiating between the two. And dreaming mm. is the same as reality to the brain. And so yeah, if you yeah, dream, I, if you actively dream, it's it's you're actually learning. You know, you, yeah, they, I read a study of, about this about uh, the piano. Yeah, it was yeah. very interesting. Very, very interesting. Very interesting. And they de- they did uh, one of the books I read lately on, on sports psychology was uh, there were a lot of interviews with Olympic athletes who, for whatever reason, got hurt or you know sustained some kind of injury mm. when at a, at a time period where you don't want to get hurt. You know, it's a mm. very physical something very physical, and and then but they just replaced the physical training with visualization, and didn't lose anything. Uh, they were, yeah, yeah, they, and true, some, yeah. and some, sometimes they had the best results they ever had. Was just be, and and they replaced the training with visualization. Hmm. But, but yeah, there is some example of this that people coming back stronger after some injuries. Like I think yeah. about Kylian Jornet because he was injured during the the Pieramonta like two years ago, something like this, and he he came back really fast and stronger. So, so yeah, I think we sometimes we we don't take enough consideration. We don't take enough into consideration the recovery, and uh, when you are pushing always your body, sometimes the recovery is uh, is the main key. Mm, mm, yeah, I think I think rest and recovery is is radically important for all of us, especially during this this phase. This is maybe the the main things I I learned this year because uh, yeah. like maybe uh, yeah end of January I was feeling very tired and uh, with my coach we decided to to cut like during twelve or thirteen days <laughs> I think it was very long and uh, yeah after before it all the intensities is what it was only pain and I said to him okay something is wrong something is very wrong. So we decided to cut, and then after we went back, and I was feeling way stronger. So, mm. so, so yeah, it relaxed me with the idea to rest now because I know that it allows you to to step up. Yes, yeah, that that's that's been our approach as well. Is you 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 can you can go really hard to get to another level, but then you've you've got to let your body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially you know, I'm I'm older than you, buddy. It's you know, you gotta you gotta let it recover. It's just I went through the same thing this winter where it was just I'm used to being sore all the time, but this was just uh, my my trainer is Ben. He's one of my supporters in the race. You met him last mm-hmm. time, but I just say Ben, I'm I'm exhausted all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, getting the work done, but without a smile. That you you, know, you want to be you want to be smiling, yeah. but. On the calorie front, that when I did a podcast with Maxime uh, Bellman, he he surprised me with his you know his research showed that we can burn as much as four to five thousand calories in a four or five hour flight. You know, so you you're burning a lot of juice with your brain. 
When mm-hmm. you when you did these three hundreds and you're in the air ten eleven hours, uh, how do you prepare for that side of it? What have you got on board for food? How do you approach your food and water intake both before you you do the flight and and during the flight? Yeah, sometimes it's difficult for me this this uh, side because I'm so focused in the air that I can just like uh, forgot to to drink to eat so. In this kind of flights, I, I just try sometimes to, and also because you are flying really fast most of the time. So um, it was kind of difficult, but may, I, I know that I didn't I didn't eat enough for sure because I eat like three or four like uh, bar during the flight. And, uh, but for, and yeah, I have some, some energy drink in my, uh, in my camelback. But uh, that's not enough, and uh, and it's very also my coach is not flying, and sometimes it's difficult. No, it's not difficult because he understands, but uh, it's difficult to to speak with him about the about the fatigue the fatigue of a flight because it's very very like uh, unusual to another sport. It's something different. It's yeah. It's much more about uh, about mental mental fatigue, sure. Mm. Mm. And yeah, so I'm quite. I I don't have any lot of advice in this side because uh, most of the t- uh, most of the time I'm I'm forgetting to eat. <laughs> 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 it could be hard when you're when you're when you're when you got the throttle to the max and you're you know, every glide you're you're using a ton of bar it's pretty hard to grab a sandwich and have a have a bite to eat at least yeah. at least for me i don't have that move very well but um maxime you you're an instructor and i know you do you do uh, your tandem pilot as well uh, take us to the beginning what what do you impress on your students what should they avoid what should they focus on when they're when they're just learning um have to focus on their motivation because uh, everybody is, is not looking for the same thing so so the most important to be in security in this case is to to work on your motivation why you are here and uh, and what you want to do with paragliding because uh, it's the first thing and then uh, when i'm pe- with people who want to go a bit more with performance flying most of the time, I, I tell them, okay, the way is long, but it's a nice way. But um, always, most of the time, they want just to just to go quite fast in the progression, and uh, and that's not the the right way to do. I, even if with now the I'm also training the some young guys, and it's a bit different with them. But uh, because they are in the uh, in structure with the Pole France and uh, and everything, so it's kind of different. But if it's people want to go to performances without uh, without any structure, it's more about um, yeah, make every step quite correctly. Because we see a lot of people thinking that paragliding is quite easy finally, and uh, after they discover how much uh, how much it can be powerful in the air. And uh, and what I want to do with them is to avoid the moment that they are blocked by by the uh, mental fear or something like this. Of course, 
in the progression there is always this kind of thing appearing but I, I also saw a lot of people just having a bad experience at quitting from paragliding. So I don't want this. Mm. Well, what's something, it doesn't have to be recent and it doesn't have to be in flying, but what's something that has come up along the way in your progression uh, that has kind of blown your mind? You know, any kind of aha moment or any kind of, you know, coming to Jesus just... Holy cow! That was <laughs> that was something I, I I just something big that 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 happened that has impacted either who you are or or your flying for the better. Mm. Um, yeah, it's an interesting question. I I would say uh, for sure it's when when I entered my first World Cups uh, for the flying side because. Uh, is you discover a new world uh, of possibilities, um, and there is a, a before and an after World Cup uh, because uh, <laughs> you you think you 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 start to enter the national con, so you think, okay, I'm, I'm not so bad, <laughs> and you arrive yeah. in the World Cup, and 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 in every glide you are they are out gliding you, or out thermaling you, or everything, so. So then you have to work quite hard to 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 reach this level. So so for sure it's it's kind of yeah it was very strong a very strong feeling to to learn from the best uh, because uh, yeah I have uh, I think I thought about the the super final my first super final in Colombia was uh, was very nice experience and uh, there was Grigal, there was. Uh, uh, um, Donini and uh, and all the legend legend like this, and uh, I I was thinking, okay, I have a lot of work, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was interesting. I I was only like twenty, yeah, twenty, and uh, and it was very, yeah, I have a really good memory of this. Mm. Was that two thousand? Uh, see, it was the two thousand twelve year. So does that was that two thousand thirteen? I think. Yeah, Russ, Russ got second, I believe. Right? Yeah, I think that was, Russ the, was, the, that was the fire flying. Yeah, this one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That I was think, my first. Uh, that yeah. was my first super final. I'd only done one World Cup before then, but yeah, mm-hmm. that was uh, that was very humbling. <laughs> yeah. I could stay with the guys one thermal and then bye bye. Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was a very new pilot. It was very humbling. Very good flying. Yeah, it was very very nice. Yeah, it was very good experience for sure. Yeah, great. Oh, fantastic. Maxime, the listeners, I'll have to piece this back together because I don't think the listeners, uh, I mean, a lot of people watch the race, of course, but this is something that was that was quite, I, I went back and pieced together Avery files for for the, for the 2019 race to you know, to watch Kriegel and see because during the race you can't see much uh, what's going on mm-hmm. with the others other than they're ahead of you or they're behind you. You had a really interesting day, uh, day three. Uh, you caught Kriegel. He made a bit of a mistake going into mm-hmm. Lamus. You, you mm-hmm. caught him. You guys hiked up together to the launch. Mm-hmm. That it was kind of blowing up. Uh, it, you know, I was back cr- kind of crossing the end valley at that moment. Uh, and you know, there was big cells your way. Yeah. So I think this is one of the things that, that the viewer can't see in the live tracking. Yeah, they yeah, don't yeah. see the weather that we're dealing with, 
But you guys had an interesting, you both took off together. You were thermaling together. You were flying together. And suddenly, you know, just going before rounding the bend and going up the, I call it the land deck Valley because land deck is mm-hmm. there. I don't know what that mm-hmm. valley is actually called, but uh, Kriegel just slope landed really quick and you kept going. And yeah. in my mind, what you did was the more logical choice because the yeah. valley winds would have been going up the Landak Valley. It was late in the mm-hmm. day. You would have gotten a nice push, but he landed, walked up very, very short distance. And he ended up getting, I didn't look at it exactly, but know, five or 10 K on you. What yeah. did he do there? That was what, what happened there? Yeah. It's, it was one of the highlights of the race for me. Um, what happened is the, I outclimbed uh, him in the over the takeoff. I was like maybe two hundred meters above him, and uh, and it was my decision was to to go as fast as possible and in the in valley because in the Landek Valley because uh, the cell was coming from the west if I remember and uh, mm-hmm. and it was also the wind was blowing quite hard um like maybe 25 30k and uh, i didn't i didn't think about even yeah i didn't even think to to land because uh, for me it was like a very very tricky situation where where you have to and also it was late so there was also the deadline and mm-hmm. uh, for me landing was not an option and i decided to go in the kind of glide mode and after i was thermaling on the lee side very strange strange things but it was working and after when i realized he topped land and just after went in soaring mode uh before entering the landic valley i I think okay it was a very good move move but it was very bold for sure and um yeah for me it was like I don't even think about it. It's uh, and I after I was walking and I saw him just passing over me, and he landed maybe like five mi- minutes before the the front came in, and uh, and it was like if five ten minutes after it, and maybe it wasn't working. So sometimes you need this kind of decision. It was a very good decision, but it was so bold, <laughs> and. Uh, yeah, still I was thinking about it. I'm still thinking about it. What what I could have done better, and uh, probably I would have done the same. So, yeah, just different planning, and it was working for him for sure. Yeah, I you know he talks about this. He talks about gambling, and if yeah. you if you gamble eight out of ten times, as opposed to three out of four even if you don't get the eight out of 10, you're going to win, you know? So, so just gamble a lot and not with risk. He's not talking about safety and risk. He's talking about those kinds of moves. And Mm -hmm. it was just interesting on, on the Avery. I, I couldn't, I, again, not seeing the weather, I couldn't make sense of it. What you did seemed to make the most sense. And it was just, I, you know, he does these moves over and Mm -hmm. over and over again. And it's, it's fascinating that, and so the next one I wanted to ask you about is 
the next day he won the race in my mind. Yeah, for sure. And he, you, so you were both together in the Landeck Valley and you, you walked a bit that morning, uh, you know, uh, west towards Davos Mm -hmm. and then you both started going up your own ridges. Again, he was five or 10 K ahead of you. I don't have this exact, but he took off. Well, you were both at the, basically the same height. You were, you had clearly both stopped to get ready to fly. Um, he took off a long time before you did and he scraped around, scraped around real, very slowly. He didn't make much, but by the, by the time you flew, he had a good jump on you. And I'm wondering again, what, what was the, was it just, you just weren't feeling it? It wasn't on, it wasn't, you just thought it was too risky? No, no, because we were late uh, on takeoff and the takeoff was was really bad. We just found a a really bad Ah. takeoff and, uh, okay. And we were a bit late, and the the place we were heading was quite bad. Actually, it was on the right place, on the right takeoff, just yeah, maybe seven or eight k in front. And um, and I wasn't ready when the the condition kicked off. Uh, ah, okay. Final, finally, uh, he landed on the way to Davos, so yep. it allowed me allows me to to take back maybe 20 minutes maybe yeah, 20 to 30 minutes and in the end we are i think what i was looking last time it was like 45 minutes behind him in devils um so yeah for sure he's, he's in the right timing and uh, and yeah this this one we had to push quite a lot in the morning on the flat and then add, add to the takeoff, but uh, for sure it was really messy on this takeoff. No no really good place to take off, and this one was quite tricky. Ah, this is see, this is the thing that the live tracking in the Google yeah. Earth just doesn't doesn't give you. I knew there were, there had to be some reason. I thought Maxime's right there; he can practically see him. Yeah, for why sure. is he in the air too? Yeah, yeah. okay. Yes, uh, yeah, I was so pissed off because uh, we were like <laughs> like walking in the in the fucking little trees, <laughs> like maybe <laughs> one meters high, but uh, we couldn't fight find any like uh, good spot to to take off and it was like this during yeah until 10 30 and what he was in there like 9 50 or just before 10 yeah and uh, i was yeah. so pissed off yeah <laughs> i bet i've had plenty of those i know exactly what you mean yeah um, maxime last question this is potentially a really hard one or maybe a really easy one i don't know but it's very general uh why do you fly uh because i don't find any other excitement like this uh elsewhere so it's the for me it's the, the best feeling in the world <laughs> like you can't find anything good as as this so i'm flying for this because uh, every time i'm in the air it's uh it's kind of yeah the best thing in the world and uh then uh, i'm also like very yeah, very interesting in the in the performance process, and uh, I want to know what I can achieve and how I can achieve it, and it's a very good drive. Yeah, 
Maxime, it's a treasure, man. I, I can't wait to to see you in in Austria. I hope this thing is a go. I've certainly had my doubts, but it seems mm-hmm. like things are moving in the right direction. And so uh I can't wait to see you and and race with you and, and enjoy the Alps for a couple of weeks. It's a special treat to be able to go do this. I'm very, very grateful. So uh, thanks a lot. And thanks for sharing all this with us and best of luck with the remainder of your training. Stay healthy and yeah, and yeah we'll see you in a bit. Yeah. Thanks Kevin for, for the interview. Yeah. We should see each other in, in Vagrain. <laughs> see yes, you. Vagrain. <laughs> <laughs> see you soon. Yeah. See you. Thanks. If you find the cloud-based mayhem valuable, you can support it in a lot of different ways. You can give us a rating on iTunes or Stitcher, however you get your podcast. That goes a long ways and helps spread the word. You can blog about it on your own website or share it on social media. You can talk about it on the way up to launch with your pilot friends. I know a lot of interesting conversations have happened that way. And of course, you can support us financially. This show does take a lot of time, a lot of editing lot of storage and music and all kinds of behind the scenes cost so if you can support us financially all we've ever asked for is a buck a show and you can do that through a one-time donation through paypal or you can set up a subscription service that charges you for each show that comes out we put a new show out every two weeks so for example if you did a buck a show and every two weeks it'd be about 25 dollars a year so way cheaper than a magazine subscription and it makes all of this possible. Uh, I do not want to fund this show with advertising or sponsors. We get asked about that uh, pretty frequently, but for a whole bunch of different reasons, which I've said many times on the show, I don't want to do that. I don't like having that stuff at the front of the show. And I also want you to know that these are authentic conversations with real people, and these are just our opinions, but our opinions are not being skewed by sponsors or advertising dollars. I think that's a pretty toxic business model. So I hope you dig that. you can support us. If you go to cloudbasedmayhem.com, you can find the places to support. You can do it through patreon.com forward slash cloudbasedmayhem. If you want a recurring subscription, you can also do that directly through the website. Uh, we've tried to make it really easy, and that will give you access to all the bonus material, little video casts that we do and extra little uh, nuggets that we find in conversations that don't make it into the main show, but we feel like you should hear. We don't put any of that behind a paywall. If you can't afford to support us then just let me know and i'll set you up with an account of course that'll be lifetime and hopefully and you're being in a position someday to be able to support us but you'll find all that on the website uh, all of you who have supported us or even joined our newsletter or bought cloud-based mayhem merchandise t-shirts or hats or anything you should be all set up you should have an account and you should be able to access all that bonus material now thank you so much for listening i really appreciate your support And we'll see you on the next show. Thank you.